Hey guys, it's Keith. This is part one of a two-parter podcast on the California general election, midterm election of 2022. Election day is November 8th. That's a week away or so from when I'm recording this. Polls are open now. Mail-in ballots are being accepted. So I wanted to fill mine in with you guys and shed some light on what is actually a quite dense and intimidating ballot that includes no less than 53 circles to fill in. A lot of those are for like an associate justice court of appeal district seat or something. Um, You know, it's going to be really hard to care, let alone research most of this stuff. But there are some big ones like re-electing possibly Governor Gavin Newsom, electing for mayor Rick Caruso, stuff like that. But what's most interesting are the California propositions, and that's what I want to go over today. There are seven of them, and they're all policy-focused, so I think it makes for some good pod tent. So I wanted to go through them and tell you why I'm supporting or opposing these and (laughs) what that even means given the complex, rather opaque language of all this stuff. For reference, I'm going to use a website called calmatters.org. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan, supposedly, uh, website. I say supposedly because it's kind of obvious that these kind of sites lean left. You know, I mean, it's people that lean left and are into politics that make these kind of websites and that actually run most of the governments in terms of bureaucracy and stuff like that, Um, and definitely within media. That said, I'm going to take it um, as uh, as an attempt to be nonpartisan or unbiased. Of course, we all have our biases. I certainly do, and I'm going to make them clear. Starting with this first proposition, the only easy proposition, even if you're on the other side of it, it's pretty clear and easy, it's abortion rights. So it's Prop 1. On the ballot, it's technically called Measure 1, not Prop 1. And that's not to be confused with measure A, which is county-based. This is for the state of California. And it reads as follows. Constitutional right to reproductive freedom, legislative constitutional amendment. And if you recall from the national discussion on abortion, the whole debate around Roe v. Wade was how basically that, that judgment from the 60s protected privacy and it was up to the courts and the sitting governments since then to always presume that that included abortion until this year when the um, majority right-leaning Supreme Court decided that that wasn't the case and that privacy didn't necessarily mean to include abortion, which is quite frankly a fair enough argument and the Democrats nationally were getting all this flack for never enshrining into law through a constitutional amendment the right to reproductive freedom and specifically explicitly abortion so what the national dems had failed to do the state's democrats are now trying to do i say state democrats i don't really know who put this on the ballot because the way that these propositions in the state work is that anybody can put anything on the ballot 
with enough signatures or funding or what have you. Obviously, individuals like me and you don't do that, and huge lobbies or well, very well-organized interest groups do that. Um, in any case, I'll read you the language, how it's written on this official ballot. <laughs> this language is very funny. There's no noun here, but that's fine. Amends California Constitution to expressly include an individual's fundamental right to reproductive freedom, which includes the fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and the fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives. This amendment does not narrow or limit the existing rights to privacy and equal protection under California Constitution. Fiscal impact, no direct fiscal effect because reproductive rights already are protected by state law. Okay, so that's how it reads. I think the language is pretty clear. I don't think there's any obfuscation of the issue here. Um, you know, on this website, calmatters.org, it does describe opponents um, to this proposition who say that it's unnecessary because it's already kind of presumed. But of course, we've seen how much trouble that gets people in on the federal level. I am pro-choice. I've gone on about abortion on this podcast several times. I've gotten some flack for my stances. I don't really know why still, even though a good buddy has tried to expressly communicate how off base or wrong or stupid I've been on this topic. I, I don't see why. I guess it's because I do try and see the other side. And, you know, I think there is some validity to um, being against abortion. Because, you know, who's for abortion? But I am more so for the right of a living woman to decide whether or not to bring life into this world. I put a woman's, you know, right to bodily autonomy over an unborn fetus and definitely over an unborn zygote or embryo. In any case, this one is very clear cut. There's not too much to say about it. Um, if you're super against abortion because of religious reasons or what have you, you would be voting no on this measure. Otherwise, for the most of my audience, I presume, we will be voting yes on this measure. And that is probably the only clear proposition we have to deal with today. The next six are all quite murky. And that's, I think, especially true for these next two, which are the most famous two propositions. These are the gambling measures. Now, let me try and just break these down a bit. 26 reads as follows. I'll read them both consecutively and then talk about them both more abstractly. State Measure 26, yes or no, allows in-person roulette, dice games, sports wagering on tribal lands. Initiative, constitutional amendment, and statute. Period. Also allows sports wagering at certain horse racing tracks, private lawsuits to enforce certain gambling laws, directs revenues to general fund, problem gambling programs, enforcement. Fiscal impact, increased state revenues, possibly reaching tens of millions of dollars annually. Some of these revenues would support increased state regulatory and enforcement costs that could reach the low tens of millions of dollars annually. Okay, so 
before I comment on that, I want to read 27 because they kind of go hand in hand. I'm turning the page, trying to find this. It's like I have these like three quite thick, quite tall, loose pieces of paper that make up the official ballot. I then have a sample ballot, which is a really thick, super thin papered pamphlet book thing. Um, I wanted to read the actual language of these just, you know, so that we're cutting through the BS that so many media outlets are, you know, in danger of falling into. Uh, and just turning this page feels hard. <laughs> That's what it's like. That is what it's like right now. Here we go. Okay, measure 27, yes or no. Allows online and mobile sports wagering outside tribal lands. Initiative, constitutional amendment, and statute. Allows Indian tribes and affiliated businesses to operate online mobile sports wagering outside tribal lands. Directs revenues to regulatory costs, homelessness programs, non-participating tribes. Fiscal impact. Increased state revenues, possibly in the hundreds of millions of dollars, but not likely to exceed $500 million annually. Some revenues would support state regulatory costs, possibly reaching the mid-tens of millions of dollars annually. I think it's funny that they throw out these figures as if they're meaningful to an average person like me or you, you know? I mean, just glancing over to Prop 30, the fiscal impact of that increases state tax revenue ranging from $3.5 billion to $5 billion. So $500 million is kind of a drop in the bucket, even though it sounds like a lot. And $500 million from 27 is already certainly more than the tens of millions of dollars annually from 26. So let's get into the weeds here a little bit. It should be clear that gambling is a thing already. It is forbidden or banned in most of the United States, with some obvious exceptions like Nevada. And Las Vegas is very close to California, as in, you know, within a drive, an easy drive from L.A., I mean, it's right there. So like Cal Nevada has been California's gambling hub, but tribal um, lands have been allowed to operate casinos for a long time now. It's kind of this like reparations that the US government has made with the you know indigenous peoples of this land that they can gain revenue for their people and their nationhoods, which are kind of independent of US law through gambling. So we all know kind of Indian casinos are a thing. So it's almost like, what are we talking about? You know, like someone like me who watches John Boy YouTube videos, like sports betting is clearly already a thing. I see ads for DraftKings all the time, right? So what are we talking about? Well, it's just technically the case that right now it's illegal to bet in certain ways in certain places. So apparently online betting is a crime in the state. I don't know how you enforce that with VPNs. If I wanna go online and bet, I'm gonna do it. I'm not sure how that changes with this. Um, apparently I don't have to hide my <laughs> IP in anymore, my, my IP address. Maybe um, that leads to more tax revenue evidently for the state, which I am for. I like more money for California, especially when the word homelessness is mentioned. I would love to see that dealt with through attacks on vice like this. Now, 
am I so optimistic as to presume that that would work? Surely not. I mean, I'm skeptical, you know, I mean, it's hard to know how effective any of these measures would be, right? I mean, supposedly the lottery is meant to fund our public school system. Is that happening? I don't know. I don't know. I know that California's education system has been going down and down. Used to be the best in the world, definitely the country. Now it's, you know, middling and suffering. There's another measure on here addressing that, kind of. So it's hard to say. A few months ago, when I first heard of this, I saw ads for it, and I thought very, like, my, my, my gut reaction was of cynicism. Like, these sports, you know, betting companies just want to be allowed to make money hand over fist in the most populated state of the nation, of the, of the federal government, rather, or of the... I always, like, shy from saying the word nation because I don't think that the U.S. is a nation. I think it's many nations within, a, you know, a union. Um, in any case, like, California is the biggest place, and apparently DraftKings and the like aren't making money in California. I'm not losing any sleep over that, but at the same time, I'm not the moral police that wants to stop people from gambling. If people want to gamble, they will gamble, and they are gambling. They will go to Indian casinos. They will set up card games in their garage. You know, I mean, there are there are card tables all over this place. There are underground scenes of gambling. They can get quite dicey and dangerous if Hollywood is anything to base that on. You know, I mean, we've all seen these like, you know, uh, loan sharks breaking the legs of people with gambling debts and stuff like that. I mean, would that go away if it was legal? I don't know. I do like to think that like with the drug war, once you decriminalize and legalize and make clear, uh, regulated and official marketplace for drugs, that cartel gang violence goes down. Is that happening now? That's hard to say because we're in this gray area where California has legalized cannabis and yet the hippies growing weed in Humboldt aren't really the ones getting rich. It's kind of cartels coming in and it's kind of a problem, the whole thing. Now, I don't know how much of that comparison works with gambling. I don't know enough about gambling. Do I care? Not really. My initial inclination was to vote no on both of these because it's like, I don't need to support gambling. It's like, it sounds like it's going to be more trouble than it's worth, so to speak. But I'm changing my mind on that. And I actually plan now to vote yes on both of these. For 26, it's a smaller one. There's less money at stake. There are less people involved. It's The language sounds very precise of what it's just now including. It's just adding roulette and dice games and sports betting on tribal lands. Evidently, those aren't part of Indian casinos right now. I guess Indian casinos are just like blackjack and poker, right? And craps or something. So now we're just adding that stuff. There's also already horse track betting, horse racing you're allowed to bet on at like four racetracks in the state, evidently, according to calmatters.org. I mean, what do I care? I don't. You know, if you want to add more racetracks, if you want to add gambling on the World Series that's happening right now, like people are already doing that. You know, Las Vegas already sets odds on that stuff. Like, I don't really actually understand why gambling is prohibited. 
And it's quite frankly the theme for me as a voter. Like, this is my libertarian side. I'm not interested in prohibiting things. I'm actually much more interested in raising revenue for the state to do productive things like infrastructure or dealing with homelessness through actual programs that work like drug rehabilitation stuff or mental health stuff. I mean, that's what I want to see, quite frankly. So when Measure 27 mentions that specifically, that gets my attention. Um, Of course, I would feel a bit like a chump if that passed and homelessness kept rising with no end in sight. I mean, I think the voters would be hoodwinked if we fell for that in a sense. But I think, you know, that leads us to this whole conversation of corruption within government. There is corruption within all governments. It's just the way it is. Um, is that to say that we shouldn't ask the government to do anything? I don't think so. I actually, I think in a way, the fact that the government is currently prohibiting gambling is asking the government to do more than it should. Stop enforcing that. Just stop doing that. Let, you know, let people gamble, whether it's a small card table in a backyard or a mid-level whatever neighborhood business or a huge multinational corporation that makes money on people's decisions. That's the world, you know, like it's not my job to to regulate that. I don't think that that's what we should be doing. So to me, it's not that I'm like super excited about gambling or that I really have a bleeding heart for Native Americans not being allowed yet to do this or that, or that I really am supporting, you know, DraftKings business or something. I just don't really care if people gamble. There is state money to be made through taxes. Let's do it, you know? If it was a wash and all that money was used to just go after illegal gaming, that's stupid. Like, that's what I fear is that both the casinos and the new, you know, DraftKings stuff, if they become these Goliaths that just go after the smaller, you know, betting agencies or something and, like, shut them down because they're not quite legal enough or something like that, then that's really sad. That is the world I don't want to see. And I have to admit that it's it does seem possible. Like, I don't see anything in this language that prevents that. In fact, it explicitly says that there would be um, state regulatory and enforcement costs that could reach the low tens of millions, you know, which is a smaller percentage of the total. But, like, why are we enforcing anything? Like, if we're going to decriminalize and legalize gambling, just stop enforcing everything. Like, I don't want government agencies wasting time and money to go say that this style of betting is not allowed. Just just allow all of it and tax as much of it as you can. That's my stance now. Okay, so those are the two big ones, Prop 26 and 27. I am going to vote yes on both of these in the hopes that it cuts down on wasted time and effort to moralize against gamblers and it raises state funds for everything else that California wants to do. All right, let's move on to measure 28. Provides additional funding for arts and music education in public schools, initiative statute. Provides additional funding from state general fund 
for arts and music education in all K-12 public schools, including charter schools. Fiscal impact, increased state costs of about $1 billion annually beginning next year for arts and education in public schools. I'm glad I read that <laughs> on the official ballot because I was like look, researching this on Cal Matters and other places. This is actually like a really popular proposition among like the Hollywood elite and just celebrities who, you know, who's going to sound bad saying that they support arts education, you know, like money for the arts, like no duh, everybody wants that, right? But I'm actually going to take the contrarian side here and I reserve the right to be wrong. I want to admit my, <laughs> my ironic background, my privilege and my biases here. I mean, I come from good arts and music education, presumably. I mean, it's always been in my life. I went through the California public school system through university and I was a musician. I was in a punk band in high school. I was in choir as a child. I remember playing the recorder. I remember, you know, I remember drawing and painting. I remember taking arts. I got really into photography in high school. My school had a dark room. We also had a radio station, which was great. I was in a few drama plays. I mean, I, I'm a supporter of this stuff. I think that should go without saying, given who I am as an artist and creative person. So, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm against the arts because, like, I'm definitely for the arts, but this is the counter-argument I want to make just for the sake of it. And let's just see if I am persuading, if I persuade myself or you, dear listener. Look, this is, um, this proposition was developed by a former Los Angeles superintendent who thought that it was really sad that there, like, there wasn't enough arts or something in the schools. When budgets are slashed due to economic, you know, depressions and whatnot, the arts are the kind of the first thing to go in schools. Is that good? Well, I don't know if it's that bad compared to other things. I mean, I'd rather slash a painting class than a math class, you know? And I say that as someone that really appreciates painting. But my main point with this argument Arts and music sell themselves. What child or adolescent is not exposed to music? You know, this is a hugely popular set of industries. They are super impacted. I say this as a career person who's struggled in these industries. We are not want for more artists and musicians. We have a glut of them that are... <laughs> not being utilized enough in this world, you know, like I, it's a little confusing to me. Like who is it that wants more arts and music exactly? Because we don't seem to be um, supplementing the lifestyles and incomes of actual artists and musicians, nor will this do that. This is not making grant money available for artists and musicians. This is not creating uh, scholarships, right? This is just funding the hiring of teachers and maintaining these programs in schools that are underfunded. And that's fine. You know, it's not that I'm against doing that, but 
quite frankly, if I was a parent, I would much rather prioritize a really solid math and science and learn, like reading education in a school and let my child be exposed to the arts on their own time, which they are, you know? And I, you know, I, I just think the arts and music make a case for themselves. And there are plenty of people that decide to learn how to play the piano or the guitar because they think it's cool without the school getting involved at all. Like, I just don't even see the need. I mean, I don't even remember much of an impact that those classes made on me. Green Day made an impact on me, you know? Nirvana made an impact on me. I wanted to become a musician because of pop culture. I got into arts because I thought Andy Warhol was a super interesting guy. And I went to the MoMA as a kid and fell in love with like the visual arts and photography. Like I had an uncle taking pictures. Like it's that, like people get turned onto the arts in their own kind of impressionable ways. Having a teacher in front of you in a classroom at a school that's struggling to even keep attendance up. I mean, is that going to do it? Is that going to improve this kind of like dilapidated school system in, you know, low income areas where kids aren't even going to school or doing their homework or, you know, paying attention to class? Like, I'm not sure if this addresses what's actually needed within the topic of education at all. And I just don't think that it's addressing what's needed in edu- in arts and music at all either. I mean, we talk about pipeline issues like getting girls into STEM topics, you know, teaching kids science and making that more exciting, like teaching coding, like do that stuff. Like there are already not enough jobs in arts and music at all. And everyone wants those jobs. What is this for? Except for like Hollywood people to sound cool about supporting the arts. I I actually don't even see the point of this. And it costs what? A billion (laughs) dollars. It's going to cost a billion dollars. Like, that's not what I want California to spend its money on at all. It's not even in the top 10 things I want California to be doing. You know, like, that is a lot of money, especially compared to those figures that we had just mentioned. You know, it's it's not the worst thing, especially if, like, Prop, um, if Prop 27 passed and it raised, you know, well, it's not going to exceed 500 million. So not even... So if you took all of the gambling money, if you ta- if you taxed the gambling and put all of that money to education, it wouldn't even cover half of an arts and music budget. <laughs> like that's a lot of money. So it makes me skeptical to be honest. Like I'm not quite sure you know, I think it's just one of those things it's like it sounds good you know, and I maybe I just will vote for it after all, because it's like, it's really hard for me to like, vote against arts and music. But it's weird, right? Like, let's just read what the Cal Matters website says about this. <sighs> requires, you know, there's a typo here. Is this a typo? It says Prop 98 requires the state to spend a certain percentage of its general fund on public education. That might have been an old proposition. So it might be referring to that. This measure would require the state to add an amount equal to 1% of Prop 98 funding, money guaranteed for public schools and community colleges in the state budget, for music and arts education. Okay, so it's saying, it's saying that within the, bu- the, the budget already allocated for education, 1% has to go to arts and, and music. 
that does sound better than how it's actually worded. And so it makes me question if like where they're getting that from, because that's not in on the official ballot. And that just brings that just it's a red flag to me. It's like if I'm a if I'm a state legislator or, you know, executive, it's easy to obfuscate the details here and say, oh, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't written like that in the official ballot. It just said we had to spend this money and we're taking it from something else or whatever, you know? I mean, this is where, like, it's so hard to become a, an adequately informed citizen. I'm really trying here. And it's like, should I be trusting that Cal Matters is telling me that this is just the 1% from the general budget? Because that sounds decent, I guess. This measure would not raise taxes, so the additional money would have to come from elsewhere in the state's general fund. But wait, that contradicts it. You, they're telling us now it's coming from elsewhere in the state's general fund. I thought they just said that it, that Prop 98 had already said that a certain percentage had to go to public education and that this would just part, take 1% of that. You see how confusing this gets? Proponents say the state's recent surplus should cover the cost. Whew, that is a bad argument. If the measure passes, schools with high proportions of students from low-income households would get more funding. School districts will be required to spend 80% of the new funding on hiring arts and music instructors, and they will have to publish annual reports on how they spend the money. Look, I'm sorry, I don't think low-income students need this over other things. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it would hurt them, but... Do you know how hard it is to make money from arts and music? Like, that's what you want to teach people that are trying to rise up in society? You want to teach them instruments? I mean, it's great to, to be able to appreciate that stuff. I think you can develop an appreciation for, appreciation for the arts at any time in life. I think it's much more important to get the brain to learn how to do math, to make computations in their head, to understand reading comprehension like that's just so much more important for school to do i just don't lose a lot of sleep for arts budgets being slashed and i say that as a former art teacher like i used to earn a living as an art teacher literally but i just don't know like it's great that schools have budgets for that and it's sad when schools don't have budgets for that do we want to give budgets to those schools so that they do have that again Sure. I mean, I just, if you didn't and you did something else, like, um, I don't know. I just don't know if, like, I'm just picturing, like, some sort of, like, Michelle Pfeiffer movie. Like, you're going to finally reach this inner city kid who's struggling at school because you're teaching them music. You know? I mean, everyone listens to music already. People that care about music will learn music. I, it's a little confusing to me is all. So I'm a, I'm a little ambivalent about this one, you guys. I just don't know if I'm convinced that it makes sense for California to spend a billion dollars on arts for the underprivileged. You know, if it was for if it was grant money, I mean, I think the biggest argument for it would be if you have a music teacher or an arts teacher in a high school, that is a gateway to the next level. Like if you're the best student in that class the teacher will probably recommend you to a certain program or college with a good thing or whatever maybe i mean that happens 
a guidance counselor could also do that. You know what I mean? Like a good guidance counselor in a school, a good one could give that kind of advice and help that kid get to that next level in life. Um, if that kid is just playing guitar on their own time, you know what I mean? Like that's still possible without a music class in the school. You just really need caring people in the building. They don't need to be teaching art. Ideally, they would be teaching science, technology, engineering, and math, because those are honestly what this country needs the most of. But um, who am I to say? I'm a content creator. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, right, 29, yes or no. Requires on-site licensed medical professional <laughs> at kidney dialysis clinics and establishes other state requirements. Initiative statute requires physician, nurse, practitioner, or physician assistant on site during treatment. Requires clinics to disclose physicians' ownership interests, report infection data, fiscal impact, increased state and local government costs, likely in the tens of millions of dollars annually. <laughs> so when I first read this, like a few weeks ago, I just was like, kind of like laughing about how esoteric and you know specific this is i think it's just so funny i mean okay i have a lot to say about this it turns out because i was at a party with the doctor recently um but i want to make a couple points here um i want to say how i think it's funny this phrase special interests right so like on the Cal Matters website, when you go to the sports betting thing, so Cal Matters, I mean, I encourage you guys all to go to this website to do some more research on these things. Um, it describes all the propositions um, and then it says the arguments for and against. And then at the bottom of the page, there's this little um, quiz, like a seven question little quiz on whether, like on where you stand, right? To like, for you to flesh out how you're thinking about it. And when I click on the one for like the gambling one, um, the first question on both of these, it reads like this. Welcome to one of the two ballot box battles over expanding gambling across the state and on tribal lands. This one is sponsored by a coalition of tribes who heading into the fall campaign had already spent more than 100 million to get it passed. And then your options are, I don't support props by special interests or I don't have a problem with props from special interests. And the fact that it's worded like that from a supposedly nonpartisan news site, I mean, to me, that just screams of bias how they phrased that, right? I mean, they decided to include in one of the two sentences of summary, sponsored by a coalition of tribes who've already spent this much to raise money. Like, how is that relevant? How is that the mo second most relevant thing, right? Again, just to reiterate, this paragraph is two sentences long. Welcome to one of two ballot box battles over expanding gambling across the state and on tribal lands. That's one sentence. And it's like, all right, fair enough. That's kind of how I introduce it too, right? There's two gambling propositions. And then their second statement, this, is, this one is sponsored by a coalition of tribes who've raised a lot of money. Okay, that's fine. And then they just say, I don't support props by special interests. So they're basically like affirming in your mind that this is a special interest topic fought for by Indian casinos. 
And I'm not saying they're wrong, but it's like, what's not a special interest topic? You know, I guess the abortion thing is not special interest, though feminists might say that women are a special interest group. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe like DraftKings is a special interest. I mean, they're a company in the business of gambling. I mean, that's not my interest. Is it a special interest? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, what is it? Business interest? I don't, it's just a funny way to like break this down, you know? And then we get to the thing I'm actually talking about right now, kidney dialysis. I mean, talk about special interest, you know? And then how do they word that when you take this little quiz? This prop is round three in a now regular ballot box battle between the Service Employees International Union and corporations that administer kidney dialysis services, such as Davida Incorporated. <laughs> the latest incarnation was on the ballot in 2020 and it lost by 27 percentage points. And then your options are, I supported that prop, I opposed that prop. Who knows, that was 2020. If I click that one, current federal law requires a board certified medical doctor, sorry, a medical director to serve each clinic. But that director doesn't have to be on site all the time and can spend a quarter of their time doing administrative tasks. I mean, this is so in the weeds, you guys. Like, this is so technical, isn't it? Like, why the hell would you and I be deciding this? It doesn't make any sense that someone like me is deciding this. Now, I've spent time thinking about it, so I do have something intelligent to offer here. But I just think it's hilarious that basically a union, talk about special interest again, a union is clamoring to demand that, what is it, um, a physician, I want to get this right, a nurse, uh, a physician, nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant be on site. Like, okay, yeah, you want those jobs filled at a higher, you know, base salary, I'm sure, paid by Davida Inc., who's probably making good money with high-tech dialysis machines that can be serviced by technicians. I just got my blood drawn last month in relation to my broken foot saga, which is doing well, by the way. The guy that drew my blood, he stuck a needle into my arm and pulled out three vials of my blood and talked to me during it, you know, in a little room. He was not a doctor. He was not a nurse practitioner. I don't think he was any of those things. You know, like medical science is pretty advanced. I went online to research what kidney dialysis even is. Um, it like cleans out, you know, the kidneys like clean out your system. And, you know, at, if your body is experiencing certain problems from age or what have you, you need help doing that. And there are at home dialysis machines now. They're at, at home machines. So it's like, what, you're gonna tell me that there has to be a doctor at your home now? Like, obviously this is working. It's working enough and it's keeping costs low enough probably for the patients. And if Davida Incorporated is making money doing that, I don't really care, you know? And if nurses are upset about that, that's their problem. Like, why do I need to make sure that nurses are well employed at dialysis clinics. Like that's kind of how I'm reading it. And talking to this, I was at this Halloween party full of doctors 
And so I brought that up and she kind of confirmed what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, this has been going on, but quite honestly, like you don't really need a doctor. Like it would be good if you had a doctor on call, but like, yeah, you can get a doctor, you know, you can always call an ambulance. The problem is just fucking US healthcare, you know, like calling an ambulance costs thousands of dollars. Getting like a Benadryl at the hospital costs a thousand dollars per pill or something stupid because it's all HMOs billing each other and stuff. So it's like, yeah, that's the problem. There's like a ton of wasted money in the healthcare system. But the problem is not, from what I can tell, a lack of doctors at dia- or overwatching dialysis machines. So I'm a little like annoyed, quite frankly, at unions who I was taught as a kid were the good guys, you know, fighting in the Industrial Revolution against the robber baron corporate greedy assholes who ran corporations and, you know, were just evil Mr. Burns caricatures and that all bosses were like that and that all unions were the fighting for the for the commoner and good people and whatever. Like, I was raised with that kind of propaganda. And now I've learned through experience, life experience that it's way more nuanced than that. There are actually benevolent, quote, job creators. I know it's some silly Republican talking point. Um, there are also a lot of corrupt people in unions. I mean, I, I taught in New York City as part of the, the teachers union. I mean, there was so much shit going on there. It like I don't support that stuff. Like same with like the construction industry. Like in New York, you will like see huge highways just closed off for months, if not years, because they just got some cushy contract and just sat on their hands with it, you know? I mean, it's not like unions are these like benevolent great things that are just fighting for you and I. It's not the case. Like citizens just want affordable health care and for their roads to be paved well enough and for their kids to be taught in good schools or you know like that's what people want it's not like they care about each specific teacher or construction worker or nurse or something it's like do your job if a machine can do your job yeah that's life i mean that's the future i hope machines replace all of our jobs so yeah uh i think i'm gonna be voting no on this one Let's move on to Prop 30. Yes or no provides funding for programs to reduce air pollution and prevent wildfires by increasing tax on personal income over $2 million. Initiative statute allocates tax revenues to zero emission vehicle purchase incentives, vehicle charging stations, and wildfire prevention. Fiscal impact increased state tax revenue ranging from $3.5 billion to $5 billion annually, with the new funding used to support zero-emission vehicle programs and wildfire response and prevention activities. You know, reading that, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be voting yes for this. You know, like every sentence in that sounds good to me. But what's crazy, I was researching this, and it's actually like one of the most complicated, contentious propositions on the ballot. Democrats generally support it, but Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom opposes it. And he says that it's essentially just like 
a grift by the Lyft Corporation, the ride-sharing app, because essentially the deal is that, you know, this is like, there's a lot of moving parts here, but like, let's start with global warming or climate change, right? Like California is quite obsessed with combating that. And I'm fine with that as a general principle. Um, I want electric vehicles to take over and, you know, I don't really care if that is through a fetishization of saving the earth or not. I think that electric vehicles are just cool and that burning oil to drive cars is kind of dumb. And I think the main impediment to electric vehicles taking over uh, the highways is the lack of infrastructure. So it makes a lot of sense. If you're going to say that by 2030, this many of cars have to be electric, then you better have the infrastructure in place so that people don't feel like they're getting stranded without any fuel in their car, right? So I think this is a good step toward making good on that. If you can raise that much money, and look, that's the biggest figure we've heard so far in all of this, right? $5 billion. Again, I have no idea how to put that in context because I don't know how much, how big government budgets are. And, you know, like it's stupid to try and compare a personal, a person's bank account to these kind of numbers, you know? So, I mean, 5 billion might be nothing. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't know what that covers, but it sounds like it would do a lot to help install a lot of charging stations, which is cool. And to give rebates to people that buy electric vehicles, which is also cool. You know, I mean... And all you have to do is tax the 0.1%, if that, of multimillionaires on top of the first two million that they already make. So this isn't even a big tax rate hike on the rich. It's 1.75% of anything over $2 million. I mean, that's nothing. That's like hardly anything. It's like, what's... What's 2% of a million dollars? Man, I, I don't want to sound too stupid here. So I'm actually going to look this up. I want to say 2,000 of 1 million. 20,000. Okay, so it's like, if I was Gavin Newsom or a rich celebrity who was, you know, like, okay, I don't really want you to tell me how to spend my money. But you have to believe in taxes, especially if you're the fucking governor of the state. You don't believe in taxes? Yeah, right. You have to. So, you know, $20,000, I mean, it's a lot of money to me, absolutely. But to someone that has a billion dollars, I think it's probably nothing. It's probably nothing. So it's like, what would you, what would Gavin Newsom rather be spending $20,000 on? Like, um, I don't know, a villa in Tuscany for a week or something? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would think that spending it on a charging station on the five in the middle of the state would be a valid way to spend the money, quite honestly. And I'm, I'm a little confused why he's against that. Again, he thinks it's just going into the pockets of Lyft, who have to transition to electric like their fleet of cars whether that's privately owned cars by um you know hustlers um side hustle people who just work for lyft 
I don't know how that works anymore. I can't remember if like, are they Lyft employees? Are they contractors? In any case, supposedly Lyft has to transition to all electric as will, I guess, most of us presumably at some point. And this money will help them do that because I guess the logic is, well, I don't know. I don't think it's going into the pockets of Lyft. I think it's going to rebates for people that buy electric vehicles that work for Lyft. In any case, you know, you throw on top of that wildfire, um, that's a good buzzword to, to care about, um, and, you know, zero emissions, like everybody, everybody loves that. So I just, I don't really see a problem with this, and I think it's like kind of something to vote yes on, you know? I mean, as, especially from like a tax perspective, you know, I definitely support taxing the elite more for programs that help everybody for the common good um, and taxing poor people less. And I think this is pretty clear in its language that it's not even taxing the elite that much more. It's only taxing this very upper bracket above $2 million for everything made after $2 million. So like if you only make $1.9 million, this doesn't even affect you. This affects 35,000 people in the state. That's it. That's how many people make that much money. And I'm fine with them paying for a fleet of electric vehicles, frankly. I, I'm failing to see the argument against it. Even though I read a whole article about it, I can't even remember any persuasive con arguments. So let's move on. We are to the last one. And this is a nice funny one to end on. State measure 31. Yes or no. Referendum on 2020 law that would prohibit the retail sale of certain flavored tobacco products. A yes vote approves and a no vote rejects, comma, a 2020 law prohibiting retail sale of certain flavored tobacco, pro flavored tobacco products. Fiscal impact, decreased state tobacco tax revenues ranging from tens of millions of dollars annually to around $100 million annually. <sighs> it's a doozy. There's a lot to break down here. I have a strong opinion about it, but I just want to get this language clear here. So basically, we're talking about like vape pens that are flavored like cotton candy and stuff, but also menthol cigarettes. Anything that's like used as a flavoring ingredient to entice people to smoke, which is a vice, and it's unhealthy. I think everybody kind of agrees on that at this point. But is it the government's job to tell people what to do, what they can put in their bodies? Is it the government's job to regulate to this degree what a corporation can sell? Is that within the purview of the FDA, for instance? Is it like the Food and Drug Administration allows, for instance, a certain amount of rat feces in the production of most foods that are industrially made. Now that is a really disturbing factoid, and I'm not saying even what that number is, but I know that it's a given that when you're running a huge plant that makes stuff, who knows what's getting in, right? But if you're selling, even if you're selling um, 
high fructose corn syrup, which is super toxic. You're allowed to do it. You just can't have fiberglass in there as well. You can't have a syringe in your beer, right? But you can sell beer. And I just don't know if like a, a flavoring counts as something that's so terrible. The whole argument is that it's like promoting children to smoke. Yeah, maybe, even definitely. I don't care about that though. And I don't know how that makes me sound to you. It's not like I'm going and peddling cigarettes to kids. Kids are peddled a lot of stuff, you know. I think you'd be naive to think that kids aren't exposed to a vast array of nastiness in their lives. They need to make informed choices. The end. They need to learn how to do that. I just don't see why it's up to citizens like you and I to tell people what they can smoke. And I just think prohibition doesn't work. It doesn't work. And going back to Prop 1, you know this about abortion. You, as a pro-life person, or sorry, a pro-choice person, will make the argument that when you make something criminal, it just goes underground. You just have deaths by coat hanger, abortion, right? We learned this lesson 100 years ago when we prohibited alcohol and we made it a constitutional amendment to the United States Um, not the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the Constitutional Amendment to the Constitution. And then we retracted it because it failed. It made drinking even more popular. And I'm not saying that like when you outlaw cotton candy, vape pens, that suddenly there's going to be this explosion of black market candy cigarettes. But I, I just, I do believe fundamentally in this libertarian value, this personal liberty value of don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me I can't do this or that. I mean, I don't really care. I don't smoke. Um, I actually, you know, I can imagine in my circles, there are people that smoke jewels, vape pens, what have you, nicotine. Um, they will admit that it's not good for them and that they actually don't even want to do it. Like <laughs> I'll have friends that will like buy a vape pen at the beginning of the weekend. And then by the end, they'll be like, get this out of my hands, get this the hell away from me. And it's pretty funny. That's their own struggle with self-control that they have to go through, that we all have to go through with whatever topic it is, right? How much TV do you watch? You know, how much do you sleep? How much do you drink? How much do you have to text or talk on the phone to somebody? How much alone time do you need? Whatever it is, like, to describe any of this stuff as, like, a vice or an addiction, I, you know, I just don't know how helpful it is. Like, I don't buy into all that language. It's like, is your life balanced or are you desperate for something? Are you so desperate for momentary pleasure that you'll poison your body? We've all been there. Will you develop a lifelong habit that kills you because of it? I hope not. Is it the government's job to make sure that you're not allowed to do that? I think that would be sad, frankly. I mean, that's just not how I see the role of government. I don't think 
I frankly just don't trust, quote, government, which is essentially just busybodies pushing pencils around and then tasking people with guns to do their bidding. Like, I don't trust people like that to tell me how to live. You know, like, you should minimize laws. Like, we don't need a law to say this. Like, I just don't see the point in prohibition of anything, frankly. I just, you know, it's just like the stuff that you need to prohibit are really obvious. Murder, violence, you know, infringing on somebody's bodily autonomy. Like, really clear stuff like that. But people should be allowed to do what they want to themselves. So I just... I'm against this conceptually, and I know that puts me on the same side as the evil tobacco industries, but it's like, I don't support them. I don't buy their product. If I have friends that smoke, like, that's their prerogative, you know? Like, I don't judge people that smoke cigarettes. And I just, I just think it's a, it's a funny topic how, like, Democrats especially um, lack a certain cohesiveness in their thought processes about this stuff. Like, if you support a woman's right to choose to kill an unborn child, how do you not support a woman's right to choose to minorly damage her liver with a few drinks? You know what I mean? Like, You, you, you'll support maybe the legalization of drugs because it's like you've had fun taking drugs before and it didn't hurt you or anybody else around you really. But then you won't support someone's right to have a gun, like a shotgun in their yard to like, you know, shoot discs in the air, even though they haven't hurt anybody either. Like, why not? Like, just let people do what they want to do unless it's like very evidently causing social ill. And I just don't see that being the case in California at all. I think California is leading the way in making cigarettes not cool. Like, California has the least smokers probably in the world of anywhere by percentage, literally. You know, like, if you travel the world at all, smoking is still pretty popular, even throughout the Midwest and in New York and stuff. But then you get to California, and smoking is not even happening at all, really. Like... And yet we're obsessed with, like, candy-flavored vape pens? Why? Who cares? And how much revenue are we missing out if we outlaw that? What was it? A hundred million annually. So that's like... Well, it's not nothing, is it? It's not nothing. That is definitely money that could be used to fund arts. It could be used to fund electric vehicles. It could be used to fund tackling homelessness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just don't really understand the point of prohibition culture, prohibiting what people can say, what they can think, what activities they can enjoy on their own time. Like, don't, don't we have better things to care about? So just to get this language clear again, a yes vote approves a referendum that would prohibit. A no rejects the 2020 law prohibiting. So I'll be voting no on this. I'll be voting no. Um, I, it's, it's just oddly worded. A lot of double negatives. Um, 
Yeah, so a no allows the sale. I'm I'm gonna allow it. I I believe in I believe in legalizing everything, including heroin. Like I don't know why people make this distinction. Like cannabis is okay to legalize because getting high in your dorm room is, is fine, but heroin is really terrible to legalize because people should. I don't know what's the argument. Obviously, it's bad to shoot up and overdose in, on a sidewalk. That's why I also want to legalize it. That wouldn't be happening if it was legal. You wouldn't be mixing it with, you know, um, fentanyl. You wouldn't be mixing it and speedballing on cocaine that's also contaminated. You'd be going to a safe house where you could inject it. You could, like, buy it in a regulated way. Your life might not even fall apart in that direction if it was legal because you wouldn't fall into a, a criminal scene around it, you know? I mean... I don't really understand, like, you think that if heroin was legal, that everyone would just start going and shooting heroin and doing nothing with their lives? I mean, bleach is legal. It's not like everybody's just sniffing bleach all day, you know? Addiction, people's lives fall apart around addiction because their lives suck and they don't have anything better to live for but momentary pleasure. That is the problem. You don't address that by prohibiting things. You address that by providing services, providing help, hugging them, giving them hotlines to call, giving them support groups, uh, providing you know more affordable or cheap or free healthcare, providing good education to begin with, you know, a support network of friends and family, providing love. you know If you want to help people, show them love. You don't show them love by like prohib- prohibition. you show them love by creating, a structure in which they can thrive. And by the way, that structure is more than a house. You cannot just give an apartment to a meth head schizophrenic. You think they're just going to like suddenly get their lives together because they have a, a place to sleep at night that has walls around it? That is not their problem. Their problem is that they're addicted to meth and they're schizophrenic. <laughs> you know? I actually, quite frankly, I'm aghast that none of these address homelessness except for like in the details of one measure out of seven. It's really pathetic to me. Um, I'm going to do a part two of this tomorrow, addressing Rick Crusoe for mayor specifically, and maybe some of the more LA-specific issues that do address homelessness, since that is what I care about as an Angelino citizen. Um, But I hope this was um, productive for you to listen to. I hope it helps you think out your thoughts on these topics. And um, we'll get into more stuff tomorrow. All right, guys. Until then. Ciao.